0: Hi, I'm Marty Grisani, and this is the Marty Grisani Show. As a full-time real estate investor and business owner, I have a real fascination of finding the key principles for business success and personal development. This show is a reflection of my personal mission to find out what truly makes somebody successful in business and in life. We will find tools and tactics that they've used to reach those levels. If you're the type of person is not satisfied with average, and you have a hunger for learning that will never cease, this show is for you. Welcome to the show all right everybody welcome back to the marty grisani show i am super excited about this episode because i actually got the, the i was gifted the chance and i took it thank god to be on this person's show uh this gentleman his name is bo ekstein and he is a pro okay this guy is a 20-year loan broker he's been a part of hundreds of of millions of dollars worth of transactions in real estate. He has a book coming out. He has a startup fintech company. He is one of the first people who have talked about a CPACE strategy, and I'm probably not even explaining it right, but I know it's for turnkey providers for ground up lending. I just thought it was amazing, and I'm super excited to talk to him. He's a flip it to win it kind of guy. Bo actually, everybody. Bo, welcome to the show. All
1: right. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun.
0: Hell yeah, it's going to be fun. We had a great time on your show. I really appreciate that. And uh, I know my listeners are going to benefit a ton from talking to, you know, listening to you, me talking to you. So why don't you just tell people really quick kind of who you are and what you do and uh, and give us a little bit of the, you know, bow 101.
1: Sure. So in a nutshell, I finance real estate investors and business owners. Um, through SBA financing, through portfolio rental loans, short-term rental loans, multifamily bridge loans, pretty much anything real estate investor-related or business owner-related, that's what I finance. I got my start 20-something years ago as a residential mortgage broker. Thought I was really smart, bought a lot of properties and 2005 to 2007. Then I learned that markets don't always go up in value like we're seeing right now. There's actually cycles. And that was a devastating time when the mortgage industry Collapse. So there I was a 20 something year old kid. And my business stopped because we couldn't make loans because nobody was making loans anymore. And businesses and banks were going under. And uh, I had a lot of properties that I was speculating on on the West Coast. And unfortunately, those markets got clobbered. So I had an early midlife crisis in my mid 20s. And then I had to pick myself up off the floor and go, wow, uh, that was like getting your Butt kicked by like a UFC fighter, right? It was that bad, and that kind of humbled me and and uh, put me in a kind of a state of depression for a while. And I said, well, what am I going to do? I don't have a college education. All I know is real estate. So, you know what what you have to do is you got to put your pants back on and you got to get back up. And anytime you lose at something, you got to figure out, okay, what what could I do? What can I learn from? And then I just got back in, and then the mortgage business was like non-existent. And I'm like, I don't like it anymore because there's all these rules now that don't really <laughs> make, they don't make sense, really. They're not right. really helping the consumer. And then I, uh, I, I was a real estate broker in California. I got my broker's license in 2007. I think I re- was originally a salesperson in 2001 around. So I started selling properties. Um, I uh, ran into a friend of mine and I didn't realize that he had a, he was a managing member of a private mortgage fund and they did fix, fix and flip and construction loans for investors. So I started doing all the business development. We ended up starting our own brokerage, lending money to fix and flippers. I got into house flipping then, cause I'm like, hey, if, if these guys could do it, I could do it. And then we're, it was so easy back then, you could just go on the MLS, pick off deals and fix and flip them and make money. I didn't have any credit. I had uh, bad credit and uh, no money at the time. So what did I do? I effectively partnered. I had a contractor that would do the, do, do, do the work at cost and a money partner. And we'd split profits a third, a third, a third. Did that for a long time. And then I started getting interested in commercial financing. And I uh, started working with all these national debt funds as they emerged. Because before we didn't have these big national funds that did these fix and flip loans. It was all like small funds and mom and pop type of private lending. So I started getting involved in that. I figured out how to do SBA financing. I figured out how to do construction loans. I figured out how to how to pretty much structure deals, and then that's where I'm at today. In 2013, I actually did a house flipping TV show. They found me on YouTube. That's why I'm a big advocate of um, building a brand. Whatever you are, if you're a house flipper, if you're a, a multifamily syndicator, you need to build brand and you need to build awareness. And I got really good at that, and that's where I'm at today. I Currently love it. Good. Yeah,
0: I love it. And that's t- you know, guys, you just got you got 20 years right there. So I got to dig in here because. That's a lot to eat. And I really actually want to start with something that I haven't been a part of. And a lot of my listeners and a lot of the people that are in my age group, you know, this, uh, this millennial and the, whatever the generation before that who are investing, everybody looks so good right now, Bo. right? Everybody looks good, but I know my, my, uh, my forefathers had gone through some shit and, uh, I think we as investors, if you started in 2011, and if you just, you know, you're still in that kind of time or 2010, whatever it is, as you start, it's hard to make a bad choice, really, because of the appreciation and what's going on in the market. So let's start with, so you bought, you said you had a bunch of rentals, right? Or you bought a bunch of properties. What what was the deal? What were you doing? Where was this?
1: So I was, uh, I grew up in California in the San Francisco Bay area, and then I relocated to, uh, Nevada. I lived in incline village, which is a very expensive, very expensive market, uh, on the Nevada, California border. We have Lake Tahoe, which is one of the most beautiful lakes in the world. Yeah. And so in this little area, they say the billionaires kick out the millionaires cause it's all billionaires right. that live in this market. So, okay. um, we opened a mortgage company on that side because we needed the brick and mortar location to open a Nevada branch. And I ran a residential mortgage company. And then I'm like, okay, well, the market's booming. Let's start buying up as many properties as we can. Right. So I started buying properties throughout Nevada, which is one of the hardest hit markets when the downturn happened. I mean, property values decreased by 60%. So I was kind of- um, 60%. And some of that, yeah, yeah. Was and that crazy. can happen again, Bo. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a one of the, probably biggest downturns in, in, in the history of the world. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it also created but a lot- you think that
0: might be just an 1,000-year flood? Like, hey, probably nothing to worry about for the next 10, 15 years.
1: Well, I, don't, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that that was, I don't think we're going to see a 50% market correction in, in residential prices because there is, a, there is kind of a shortage of housing. But I do think these, these corrections sneak up on us and everybody's everybody's an expert, so everybody has their opinion right now. Um, right. But I think I think you know, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't be speculating on on big renovation projects. I would be buying properties that are more turnkey for rentals, um, that cash flow from day one, and that 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 do have a value add component. So, like if you're buying a fourplex and two of the units are already rented, and that covers your debt payment you're you're probably in pretty good shape to then you know renovate the other two units and and so forth but you know going into um like a large spec deal where you're buying something like people in san francisco for example are flipping houses where they're buying them for two million they're putting a million in and then they're expecting to sell it for x million right right so so those type of deals is are potentially where you can maybe get caught because prices you know the buying market could suddenly slow slow down and then um, you know, you're, you're not getting, you can, you can miss fire on, on, on uh, large luxury deals pretty easily. Right. So i like to stay in the entry level kind of flip market. It, I'm not really flipping anymore just because it's a job and, it is. you know, I have a lot of smart friends and, and um, most of them get into doing bigger deals and doing syndications and cause you can leverage other people's money. So I think that is probably a, you know, a better avenue to, to grow wealth quicker.
0: But you definitely um, be, do you believe that you became better at what you're doing because of flipping?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, when I was selling houses, I think my competitive advantages is like, OK, we know how to like take this floor plan and open it up, make it more appealing. And so like as an when I was selling houses as an agent, because I own this small real estate brokerage, too, um, that makes you like it. First of all, if you're dealing with a real estate agent and they don't own any real estate, they're usually not the best agent because they don't know that they don't know like what what problems you should fix before you list the property and how to stage it, how to position it. Because you know, there's certain things that you know you're gonna get caught on. And then then when the when the market changes, like right now, people are waiving contingencies. Oh, I don't need contingencies. But when the market changes, then the buyers are more picky and then they can eat you alive. Like they can find things on the inspection and say, oh, well, and then all of a sudden, no, there's a foundation issues and this and that it's going to, and then they get these inspectors that say it's going to be 50 grand to fix. And so then you start, especially in older housing stock, you find a lot of that kind of stuff. So right now everybody's like, oh, no appraisal contingency, no inspection contingency. And I think that's when the market changes, that's where those people start getting picked apart. And then. It's always sucks when you're on the selling side and you have that property and, and the inspector comes by and just eats you alive. And like, there's not a, there's not like 20 other buyers, you know, behind that buyer. So you're, you get kind of scared because you're paying four or five grand a month in debt right. service. And right. oh God, that, and if you have a couple of those properties that you're feeding every month, it doesn't take long before you deplete your savings. And that's when you get into issues.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, an those are issues that happen with the flipping business because it's, and we are in it, right? So that's something that we do. That's part of our one of our divisions, is, is flipping. And you're so right when you said it's like a good job. It really is. And it's you can't really scale yourself out of it, it feels like. I I just don't see it, especially where we are. You really need to be in it full time. So it's kind of it's just not something I don't think where someone can just hire a CEO to take over your flipping business. And and I, I don't know, maybe that's a limiting belief, but it's 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 what I really truly believe. And that's why we have pivoted into multifamily, like what you're talking about. And that's, you know, one of the things on your hey, here's a here's something I want to know, Bo. On your show with Vinny Chopra, you talked about him getting an eight point seven million dollar loan in fifteen days. Can you do that for me? Can you promise that you can do that for me?
1: Yeah. I mean, money right now, money's easy to get. <laughs> it, it really, it really, on a multifamily deal, we have debt funds that it's pretty simple. It's, it's kind of like the f- fix and flip f- formula. What's the purchase price? What's your CapEx or renovation costs? And what's your stabilized value? What's the ARV? We call it multifamily, call it stable, stabilized value. So we get an MAI appraiser, and this is for four units plus. And so we can do 80, 87% of total project cost I means 87% of purchase, 80% of rehab um, on bridge debt. So then, then they, they fund control of the construction. So it's just like a fix and flip loan, really. Um, and our gro- gross loan amount can't exceed 75% of the stabilized or the ARV. So it's, it's very similar to like a fix and flip model because most fix and flip lenders lend 70, the max loan, uh, gross loan amount can be 75% of the ARV. So they That's always crazy. say, it. yeah, yeah. So it's aggressive because hard money lending back in the day, we didn't have 30-year portfolio rental loans that so you don't need income docs. Right now, it's like a blessing. I'm closing a few deals right now. And, I, you know, the rates have gone up so much in these DSCR loans. Now, like- uh, Can you explain were... that
0: a little bit, Bo? Because some of us, especially myself, you know, we're getting into it, but we don't really know all the, the lingo lango. So what, what is that?
1: Sure. So um, what I, kind of what I do or part of what I do, is a lot of investors they uh burr properties, right? Correct, buy, right. buy, renovate, rinse, repeat, refi, uh, in not in that order, but anyways. Um, so we get a fix and flip loan at 85 90% uh purchase price, and then the, the lender holds back the construction, so we, we only need to put down 10 percent right, 10 or 15% of the purchase price, and then we we fix the property, but we're not going to sell it because selling property is you know short term. You get taxed the most on it. We really want to burr out of it, and we want to keep it as a long-term rental or short-term rental. And so then, these DSCR loans, which are called debt service coverage ratio, we don't need we don't need to go to a conventional bank and give them our tax returns anymore. Debt service coverage ratio is based on your credit score, that the property cash flows, and the loan to value. That's how we price these loans. That's and that's it. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. So. On a ref, cash out refi, you can go to about 75%. So if you burr correctly, you should be get, able to get all your money out at 75%, right? That you might even them.
0: be able to make money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you do, if you buy really good, you can, <laughs> you can. some people get cash back. And usually you want about right. six six months of seasoning. So you want to wait about six months because that opens the door to being able to use new appraised value.
0: Okay. No, so it, it really can be used, you know, the same burr model that you might use for a single family can truly be used for a hundred unit building.
1: Yeah. It's the same process.
0: That's insane. I think if people start to, and that's again, easier said than done, but if you work on that and that your mindset is, Hey, this guy or this person is doing it. Why not me? Well, you know, why not me? And that's what we continually stress in our company is why not us, you know, and, and that and that kind of goes to for you, right? Well, that's you know I <laughs> your 20 year career is is really impressive, considering that you got punched in the face so hard when I'm sure that you have peers that also got punched and have completely either got out of the business or they're just maybe they're still stuck down there, you know and spiraling and I, maybe maybe not. I hope not. but, I know a lot of people have. You know, cause that's, that's what happens. Here's another thing I want to talk about because I thought it was really interesting is this uh, you are certified or you're the only person I've ever heard that can, what's this pace equity or pace capital?
1: So, so uh, sure. Sure. So Pace financing. Yes. It's uh it's basically a state enabled program. So not every state has it yet, but, but basically people that are doing a, like bigger construction projects where they're going to keep the property. Most of the time it goes in the capital stack. So, so they might, so let's just say somebody's buying a, a distressed multifamily property and it's like 200 units um, and they have a bank that's bank or a private mortgage fund. That's going to let in 75% of total project cost. It means they still got to bring 25% of equity in. So what, what C-Pays financing does it, it, funds all the green eligible items in a construction build. And it's not a second mortgage, it's actually an assessment through the property taxes. So, but basically they're in, encouraging people to build green, more green products like LED it could be um, foundation. It just depends on the state. So it basically for the developer in a nutshell, it gives them more equity in the deal. Um, wow. So they, they have to they have to bring in less investor capital essentially, right? So they get higher returns if you, because the more LPs or limited partners you bring into a deal, you got to divvy up the cash flow into equity. So this, this is like an awesome tool. It's non-recourse debt that can fund up to 20, 25% of eligible items in a construction build. So it's a lot of people in the hospitality, like hotels, people building hotels or doing adaptive reuse projects use CPACE in the states that are approved. There's about 20-something states that are enabled right now for that. Is-
0: is New York one of those, do you know?
1: Yeah, New York. So every state has a little bit different caveats of what you can. And like California and Florida are like the two most uh, liberal in the, in the pace, but oh, Ohio and other states. Yeah, but New York, you can. So it's a great tool. Uh, like like anything, like if you're a real estate investor, I think you need to have multiple tools in your tool belt. You need to have a uh, subject to, you need to know how to lease options, you need to be able to buy um, properties uh, with none of your own money using other people's money, right? Like you can get a hard money loan, and then you bring in what we call gap funding for the down payment, because you have to be resourceful, especially if you have no capital, you need financial capital. Um, I mean, uh, all
0: these things you're saying are are ways for people that don't have money to get, you know, a deal done. You know, I think the key thing is, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Bo, but if someone has a deal, there's typically a way to get it financed. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. I mean, just think about it. You get a deal that you're getting an awesome buy on. You have a couple exits. You can wholesale the deal. You can bring in a joint venture partner. You can get a hard money l- loan from for 80 to 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the repair costs. And then even the, the down payment you need, that 10 or 15% plus carrying costs and stuff, you can bring in a gap funding partner, right? That just funds funds the down payment. So, I mean, I structured a ton of deals with zero out of pocket for wow. myself. You know, that's the way to do it. Because if you don't have capital in your bank, how are you going to do it? You're going to have to leverage other people's money. If you look at these big syndicators that are buying these $50 million buildings, they're doing the same thing. They're not putting their money in the deal. They're they're raising money through a syndication, right? They're, and, and so that's how people get really wealthy is leveraging other people's money. And that's-
0: You're cheap. so right. You're so right. And again, this is a mindset shift
1: because
0: it's it on paper, the single family house, you can kind of wrap your head around that. But when you go into the 10, 20, 30, $100 million deals, it's a team sport and you got to be a someone who can put together the team and put together the deal and you get paid handsomely if you're able to do that. So here's my question, right? So as an aspiring syndicator, what is something that, you know, you would suggest doing? Is it hey, build your keep building your brand, Marty. Keep telling people what you do. Is it to cuz I know you need to have a bow on your team, right? You need to have someone that knows, you know, the financing side better than anybody, right? I think it's let me ask you this. Do you think it's just somebody who can put together the best of the best?
1: Yeah, I mean, really it comes down to like I've interviewed a ton of syndicators, and I, I'm not a syndicator right now. But, but, but really, it comes down to this. I've interviewed everybody has the same story. I started with this single family, and then I got some duplexes. And then I realized that I can't scale this business. It's a pain in the rear. So then they 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 learn about syndication. Oh, I can just raise money, and I could buy bigger deals. And I, and so when you when you actually do a syndication, you get a syndication attorney. Um, but the beauty of this is is that. The, they have all these, as a syndicator, you have all these profit centers. You have a profit center, like when you do an acquisition, you get paid a fee. You get like a 2 3% fee on the total project, right? So I've been with a syndicator for lunch, and he just made a million dollars at the start of the project, 500000 or 800000 or 300000 at the start from setting it up. That's his, that's his, you know, kind of his finder's fee or his deal structuring fee. Then when there's it closes, acid- right? When it closes. When they yeah, when, he, when, it, when they, so yeah, okay. So when they buy the property, they get paid, they get paid a portion of the cash flow, and then they get paid equity when they sell. What's the normal split? Because that's is it 60,
0: like
1: a 70-30? 70-30 or 60-40, but usually 70-30.
0: 70-30 is a normal split. So the GP right. or the general partner, mm-hmm. that's the syndicator, right? Yeah. Okay. And but there might be maybe two or three GPs,
1: right? Or no. Right. So so these syndications. So you're gonna. Let's just say I went out and found a deal, and I'm buying a 200-unit apartment complex. Um, and to get agency debt, and they, well, everybody talks in multifamily about agency debt. That's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It's non-recourse debt. It's the best multifamily financing besides HUD. But anyways, so and
0: non-recourse just basically means so. Because guys, I'm learning as we do this, right? This is my this is my own journey that also my uh listeners are following along that i'm sure are are, you know typically on the same track as me but is uh non-recourse basically means if something were to happen and things go left sideways i don't become liable where i then have to declare bankruptcy is that something about around around the right what i'm thinking
1: yes you're absolutely correct they do have standard what they call standard bad boy carve outs meaning if you commit fraud they can go after you and things like that but so for to qualify for agency debt, you need to have experience in that asset class. Meaning, if I don't own any other apartment buildings, I'm not getting. I don't qualify there.
0: Well, real quick on that on that side, if I'm an LP on a multifamily, if I'm if I put money, does that qualify me as someone with experience? No. Damn it, Bo. Okay, keep going. No,
1: but it is going <laughs> to be an LP in some deals so you can learn the process. So, sure. Uh, okay. Fair could, should, So then you need. The, the GP needs to have a net worth equal to or greater than the loan amount. So shoot, I can't do that. The sponsorship team or the general partners need to have 10% percent post close liquidity. So after you close, you need 10% post-liquidity, right? So if you don't fit that now, I'm screwed. I can't buy this apartment because I don't, I don't have the net worth. I don't have the liquidity. I don't have the experience. So we're going back to team sports. So what do I do? I bring in my syndication partner that's got the experience, right? He gets a piece of the deal because he's a general partner in the deal now. Now we need somebody to sign that's got the net worth and that's called a, a KP, key principle, right? And that person is the, the person with the balance sheet that, that can support the loan. Now that's how we form this sponsorship team and we satisfy all these conditions. So after I've interviewed all these people and friends with all these big syndicators, it's really a team sport going back to it. So how do you get started from like, okay, I've done, you know, X amount of flips and own, you know, 50 rental properties, all single family. The quickest way to uh, get a black belt in syndication is to co-GP. So you become a co-general partner because that's going to put the rank on your on your black belt, you're gonna get a red stripe now.
0: I love that, I love this analogy, it's amazing.
1: So what you do then is then you, um, one of your buddies is a big uh, is a big um, multifamily syndicator and you say, hey, your next deal, I wanna be part of it. And then there's certain rules within the PPM, which is called the private placement memorandum. Whenever you're raising money, you have to do it legally through a securities offering. So there's different securities off- offerings where, you can only go after accredited investors. Accredited investor, there's rules like million dollar plus net worth, not counting your primary residence, things like that. And then there's some offerings that you can open up to everybody. So you got to figure out what kind of offering. and then there's certain ways that you can openly advertise and some you can only do to people that you personally know because they'll come after you and they'll put you mm. in jail.
0: Yeah, yeah, they will.
1: So so what I do now, so this is my plan now that I want to get into syndication this is
0: by the way, this is awesome. this is um, awesome. Yeah. so like this is like what people are looking for and then they pay thirty grand to be coached uh, you know to, to truthfully now, I'm a big fan of coaching, but I'm just saying this is what I was looking for two three years ago when I was just starting. so bo keep going,
1: brother yeah, this is awesome yeah and and I do think coaching has its place i I think, where the coaching is really good is that you get it plugged into a network of other people like Marty and Bose, and then you form your team there. So that's where it's worth it because then somebody brings a deal. Hey, I need somebody to come on and help raise capital. And then they form the teams. So it does make sense. Like I think the 10,000%, 10,000%. Yes. Like I'm not very analytical and I don't want to be in the spreadsheets on multifamily. So a lot of us are like, I don't want to be multifamily. I don't want to look at Excel spreadsheets. That's why you, you bring an underwriter on your team. Um, or you could outsource that to a third party. So, so the quickest way to accelerate your growth is then just you know go to go to events, meet a, somebody who's got the experience, but might need some help in raising capital or some boots on the ground, and then you you fast track the process because now even though I'm a minor partner, I'm a GP. Hey, I'm a GP. I can wear my baseball cap. I'm a GP. So that's how you get your experience, right? And then you just keep doing that over and over again. Now. You know, like nowadays, you hear people, oh, I got 3,000 units, but maybe they only own like a half a percent of that 3,000 units. So, like, I always say, really, that might not be the way you want to go. Maybe you just want to own 100 units yourself and you cash flow 50, 60 grand a month, and that's good enough for you. Or, you know, there's some people that go on to own 6,000 units and they're worth 20, 30 million bucks, you know, so net worth. So it just depends. But the other thing is, whenever you raise capital, That's a lot of stress on your back because if you don't deliver the results to your LPs, your limited partners, and maybe you lose money or, you know, people actually lose money. It's, you don't always win.
0: That's another good point. I mean, that's the thing with what we're seeing is with the syndicators and God bless them. I mean, again, I I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, right. In a way is just though that you couldn't really F up a, a multifamily deal in the last 10 years. Right. And so, I don't know. There's a little bit of like a you know, I think Bo and correct me if I'm wrong, there have been some people who've gotten into this game and they're putting together deals that are ba- you know, they're on a shoestring and they're barely making sense. And if there's just a bit of a correction, it could be a, it could just become toppling down in this especially in this industry of you listen to all these people doing it, the podcast became huge. There's so many people that are saying they're, you know, syndicating and they're doing you know again i know there's 90 of them are doing it the right way but there's the scary 10 where it's like hey by the way you could lose money and you could be losing also you can lose money on people who do a good job right so that's a part of investing it's not always and, a win
1: yeah and uh i interviewed a gentleman yesterday and uh he he owns a lot of multi-family student housing when COVID happened um his occupancy went from 90 percent to like 49 right He told me on one project right now, he's stroking a check for $110,000 a month. Oh. And he said, he said, that's why I'm super. And now it's come back and he's starting to do better. But he said, that's why I always take money and I have a nest egg because who would have guessed we were going to have COVID and student housing went from 90 to 45% occupancy or whatever. Right. That black
0: swan event, that black swan event.
1: so fortunately, this guy has was smart and he put away millions of dollars. So, I mean, 110 a month probably hurts, but for him, he was, he prepared. So even when you're flipping properties, you, you got to be careful. And, um, you know, everybody's like not really thinking like, so I get a lot of newbie people that want fix and flip money and it's like, okay, well, I, you know, they send me over their information. I'm like, okay, there's not that much money in your bank account. Who's putting the money down? Oh, okay. We're getting money from this person. Okay, great. And like what nobody thinks about is like, even though I'm lending 85 or 90% of the purchase price and hundred percent of repair costs, what about your carrying costs? You got to pay that $2,000 mortgage payment every month. Utilities. What what happens when your $50,000 construction budget becomes $80,000? And when you're doing a construction holdback, You only get get those draws when you make progress. So when we fund these construction rehab loans, I have 50,000 allocated. We look at a line item construction budget and you got to make progress before you get your first draw. So I'm like always trying to tell people, listen, you need down payment, closing costs, reserves, miscellaneous, contingency reserve, and you need money to get the project started. Because what happens if you like close on the deal and now you're like, Trying to scrape your pennies together to get your, get the contractor actually do work. And so people fail before they even start because they're not. Oh, it's good, they're, man. They're, they're not. They're not planning. They got to plan. Like you got to think about this because that's how you get burnt. And everybody well, thinks, it, yeah, it's crazy.
0: No, it, but that's that's why you teamed up in the beginning. That's why you you know a third, a third, a third. And yeah, maybe you didn't get hundred percent of the proceeds, but you learned a ton, you still got paid, you got the information you needed, and then you got a track record, you got credibility. So you, you see these people that just try to like, they try to think that it's, you know, it's everybody against themselves. And it's, and it's, uh, you know, that's it, not the right way of thinking about it. you got to try to get as many people involved, especially in the beginning. So you can build up that win. You need wins in the early on to, to get that traction and, and really, you know, push that ball up the hill. So that, that's awesome. It's so true. So true. Yeah.
1: And then so many people right now, I, I want to quit my W2 job. I want to go full-time real estate. Well, that's great. I love the ambition. But sometimes I tell people, relax, buddy. Keep your job. It's easier to get bank financing. Let's stack up 12 months of reserves before you go full-time. Let's think about these things. Like, think about, even right now, all these people that are planning to burn their properties and use these DSCR loans, they were underwriting the deal with four percent money and now they're paying six percent, right? So, what's that gonna do to the whole equation? Great, and also, and also all these people buying short-term rentals, which is a great business. I have people crushing it, but is it is it more of a demand now because of COVID? And like, is this gonna normalize or will this trend continue? These are things that are kind of unknown. I mean, people always talk about their shortage of inventory, which is true, but like once the media starts talking. And there becomes that negativity in the in, um, consumer mindsets shift, right? Like all of a sudden, we got to remember the government just printed trillions of dollars. So people have all this um, SBA, you know, PPP and IDA loans and all this stuff. So that kind of helped a lot of people, right? Because they gave, they gave 30-year loans at 3.75% to people, business owners. And so a lot of people, you know, I talk to people all the time. People that were doing pretty good get like two million dollar idle loans. Um, so <laughs> so that, that, that's helping the economy. They were pretty smart. Like, I think the money went to people, business owners that necessarily didn't need the money, uh, um, which is probably the plan. Because if they didn't really need the money, then those are the people that would probably best utilize the money to grow their businesses. So I think that's. It didn't really go to the people that like are homeless, and it went to business owners which was smart by the government actually, because that did stimulate the economy pretty well, because when you when you get a chunk of change at 3.75%, you can do a lot of, you can grow your business pretty significantly, right? Like You can do a, couple, a lot of those
0: capital improvements, the hiring, all the things that, you know, the government probably, we needed at the yeah, time, right? Yeah. Is, is get that money going and working. No, that's awesome. Uh, you know, but one of the things that we always think about, you know, here, is you know what's the next step right like what's what's it what's it look like in five years from now so like for for you two things what do you think the economy or i guess i should say what does the real estate market look like in five years or maybe even a year like yeah. i don't know if you can even think that far out because i know it gets a little tricky but are we are we good like are we good buddy like we got anything to worry about like i know you see these interest rates are increasing and. Are people screwed? Are, are people refinancing because they need the money? Um, what's the deal? What are your thoughts there?
1: So I, you know, I missed the boat. I should have been a little, I had a, a loan in to refinance three of my properties. And for whatever reason, they didn't order the appraisal on my four unit property. And like, I got it like 45 days after I put my loan application and pissed me off. Right. Cause the rates went up 2%, but Damn. there's nothing I can do. But point is, is I'm pulling out the cash and securing 30-year debt, even even though the rates went up, because I can utilize that cash now. Because um, real estate, usually in inflationary markets, are a good investment. So I think all in all, historically, real estate is the best investment. It's just that you have to have, you have to be able to withstand certain pressures and downturns that might come about in the future. So as long as you are buying for the right purposes and not stretching yourself too thin, then I think you're going to be fine. So that's what the goal is for everybody. It's like, have a little bit of reserves, not too much, because we're in inflation and money in the banks, you're losing money, right? So um, and I think that you should diversify a little bit. Um, I think the focus, everything should be focused on cash flow, not appreciation. So So all uh, in on
0: crypto, is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, I don't really know much about the crypto market. I mean, if, if you understand it, I think people have made money in it. But if you don't understand it, you should probably wait. You should yeah. get educated before you invest. 100%. But, I, but I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, what's your financial independence number? If it costs Marty, right. you know, eight right. grand every day or every month to pay his bills um, and to put food on the table, pay insurance, that's your, it, it, once you get Eight grand in reoccurring revenue that you're not actively working for, then you're we're, we call that being a hundred percenter, meaning you have Ooh, enough cash flow. I like to, that.
0: That's yeah, the number
1: eight so, K. So, yeah, so then you work towards being a hundred and fifty percenter. Once you get to about a two hundred percenter, where you know, like it costs Marty eight grand a, a month, but now he's got sixteen grand a month coming in. And then, then he's a two hundred percenter because he has that extra eight grand. Right. So, once you have that extra, extra eight grand, all you do is then you're like a full time investor.
0: Oh, I love that. That's a great, I, I never heard that. That's awesome. What's that called? Just be a 2% or be a 200%er.
1: Yeah. So, you start first, your goal is write out all your expenses, what it costs, food, movies, sushi, everything. Yeah. What's What's that number? And it's gonna scare you. I did that one time, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I, no wonder why I have no money. I'm like, <laughs> I have like, I mean, I have I have apps right now. I'm paying four hundred dollars a month for. I'm like, do I really need to? You know, is it really moving my the needle for my business? So you add up all these expenses, and then that's the first step because that's like a rude awakening between like right. Google Storage and Zoom and this and that and that. And you're like, "Whoa!" I know it's some of most of it's business, but it's like, where can I cut there um, that I'm not using that and maybe you save a thousand bucks a month. I'm not big on saving the money. I'm more big on making the money. Yeah. And then, and then what I need to do, uh, is like you set up another bank account that you don't see and you don't use, and you just have like 200 or $300 every month, just going to that bank account. Right. Like, cause for me, if it's great, if it, tip,
0: cause, great cause, yeah. The, well, then that's that,
1: that that Cause we know like you can go out and buy a hundred thousand dollar properties in the Midwest and you know, you need 25 grand. Right. So, every year you should be able to put that 25 grand away. And then like you buy a, buy a rental, buy a wow, rental. I
0: love that move, but
1: one rental at a time is all it takes really. Right. It's not like you have to, if you do it that way, you don't necessarily need to be a tycoon. You could just buy one house at a time. You could be strategic. You could house hack your first deal. I get an FHA loan. I move into this duplex. I rent the other, I live for free. I save $1,500 in rent. I take that $1,500 and save it. That's how you propel your wealth. And so, um, you know that's the key. It's like make money and then and then and then do strategic moves because you don't even need to be a real estate investor. You could just go. That's a good point. When I when I bought my first house in San Ramon, California, couldn't qualify for a loan, so I did a lease option and I set the price. This was my first house at 21 years old or 22 maybe. So I leased it for 12 months with the option to buy it at 325 thousand. When I went to exercise the option to buy it, the house was worth 375. That was my Damn. first real estate deal. I just made $50,000 equity. Even before house hacking, I had two of my rooms rented out to my buddies. And I was like, I was doing this before bigger pockets, you know, like <laughs> although like I should have been smarter because that $300,000 house is now a million too. So, I should have kept it. Should have kept my house in Tahoe. Should have done that. Should have done this. I did not I didn't follow a lot of things I should have done, which is just hold real estate. Cause that's where you get really wealthy. It's just holding the real estate. If you're yeah, flipping in properties right spot too. Yeah. What's the point of like flipping a bunch of properties and paying like 35%. Let's just say Marty made a million dollars and then he goes to his te- he flipping houses last year. And then he goes to his tax account and he's, he's got to pay 300 grand in taxes. Like, you know, you got to have those those other strategies like cost segregation, and you got to learn all these little tools. Because I, I, I showed my friend the cost segregation. Hey, you should look at doing that, and it saved him like two hundred grand this year in his taxes. Wow! That would have to pay. There's like, you have to listen and like these are the things that people get really successful and make money from. It's it's like pay less taxes and buy more uh, appreciating assets. Yeah, they want you to,
0: right? I mean, that's what the. Uh... IRS has, like, they have these codes because they know real estate is important. They know that these investors who are, you know, going through the turmoil of providing housing and and really getting into this market, you deserve these credits. You deserve some of these breaks because they can't do it. They know they're not good at it. So they need investors. They need people to kind of think outside the box and do these kinds of things. And you should get rewarded for it, right? I mean, that's the truth.
1: Yeah, we take the risk. We can, easily, risk. we can take, we can lose money. We stress, you know, like it's, I, I've been pretty much self-employed my whole life and I can tell you it's not the easiest journey. I, I've been transaction based originating loans. And like, that's no way I I would have done things way different. Um, But all I can do now is just say, Hey, people, like, if you're looking to get into real estate, here's what I would do now after 20 years of watching people be really successful. It's just these baby steps, right? Like I, just the baby steps like you could just be strategic in an fha loan buy a duplex live there a year go buy another one you can do that every three or four years and you can end up with a portfolio of 12 units with good long-term debt on it that like and you don't have to really think about it you're just moving every couple of years and buying strategic properties you're not really out there actively look, looking at deals and you know not everybody needs to be a deal junkie like marty right like <laughs> because because it's it like you have to be on it 110% of the time to be successful, right? Like if, like, you're probably so wired that like you have to do it this way and not everybody can handle that intensity. But oh, you're does, so
0: right. You're so right. You- it's almost a hindrance. Honestly. I think that, you know, if we maybe went slower in the beginning, you know, obviously I wouldn't change anything because I'm ecstatic on where things are going, but you know, You've got such a good point there, you know, go slow, do the house hacking, the FHA. Here's what you got to do though. And here's what people don't want to do. It's going to be uncomfortable to have a duplex and be a house hacking in your first buy. Yeah. You're not going to get your dream house. That's going to come five houses from now, right? After you sell the two, right? Or you don't do it at all. You just do it smart. And then you just keep, you keep refinancing and then that's your down payment for your, your, you know, your, ma- you know, that magic house that you're looking for, but people don't want to do that, Bo. They don't want to do that. They don't want to go slow. They want that brand new house today. But yeah, you're right. If you can, the other thing is you got to find a partner that's willing to house hack with you. <laughs> or, or you do it when you're younger and, you, and you're and you single, Bo is smart, he waited to get married, right? You you got you just got married like what, a year ago, two years ago?
1: Two, yeah, a little over two years ago. So yeah, that's yeah, really I mean, yeah. It, um, but I, I made a lot of mistakes too. So, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I, think I have educated myself, kind of, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think you start small, um, people get overwhelmed. They, another problem you see is people, um, they get a taste of success on a first deal. And all of a sudden like they buy like five properties at once. And then they, like they realized it gets a little bit more difficult um, because now you have five properties. You've done one deal. Like when I first went and started buying in the Midwest, we bought all these big renovation deals. And we didn't have the team. We didn't have, it was like the stupidest thing ever. We should have just, <laughs> we should have bought cosmetic deals, got them rented out and then kept on replicating. I got hung up because I bought these, 19 early 1900 houses that need these huge renovations and trying to find contractors if anybody's deals with contractors is not the easiest thing and especially in this market so you know these are learning mistakes that i see reoccurring you know everybody's like all these flippers oh i got to steal under contract in san francisco because that's where i grew up so i did a lot of deals in the bay area and these guys would come in and like i'm buying it for a million i'm going to put in 500 i'm going to sell for 2.5 million well the problem is got to get plans permits you got to be able to carry that ten thousand dollar a month debt payment and people don't think about it and then the reality comes and i've seen so many people even in a huge appreciating market get their butt handed to them that's a good point yeah yeah i, well, I did the biggest deal i've done was like a i forgot what we bought it for it was like like a million five purchase and we were putting like originally we we're gonna put like 200 in it and it'd be like 400 okay um uh, but you know that i remember we were it's like twelve thousand dollars a month of debt payment and it took like we had a contractor that basically walked off the project and we had to pick up pieces uh, and thank god that the market in san francisco at the time was booming <laughs> and, and and we ended up breaking even i think i think i might have lost like four or five grand of my own money but but that could have been so ugly it could have been, been so,
0: so much worse thank god yeah. the market was in our favors <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, you know, I know I interviewed one guy, and I think he lost two hundred grand on a flip in the Bay Area.
0: Man, yeah.
1: And then he's like, "I'm getting into buy, fix, and hold." I'm like, "Yeah, that's probably a better." And now he's crushing. It. He's got thirty something rentals, and and and, you know, so if somebody's never lost in real estate, there's probably they probably haven't done enough deals because you're gonna lose on a deal. Um, and it's just the, it's just the bottom line. Like, you can't bet a thousand. You just can't. And some. No, deals and I don't.
0: And I don't want to work with people who have bet a thousand. And that and that's why, you know, guys, for people who are thinking about, you know, looking for lenders on anything, Bo can handle all of those things for you. I mean, at least reach out to him. He's uh, probably one of the the most active on LinkedIn. He's got his website. Bo, what's the website people can go to if they want more information on you?
1: Sure. They can go to com. That's B-E-A-U-E-C-K-S-T-E-I-N.com. Or they can um, go to uh, my podcast, too. They can listen. I talk about lending, which is InvestorFinancingPodcast.com. Or you can go to YouTube and find it and go in the search bar and put Investor Financing Podcast, and you'll find the show. We talk about financing, and we interview real estate investors, too.
0: It's an amazing show. Bo's is an amazing guy. And I know that for people who are looking to talk to people in real estate, you want to talk to somebody who has been through a few cycles and uh and also got out of them and and being even more successful after and Bo is that kind of guy Bo, i just want to be cognizant of your time i thank you for showing up and being a part of this this is a journey and uh god bless
1: you and your journey thank you very much it was great to be on the show and look forward to connecting with you again marty hell yeah brother thanks for being here see you guys
0: Thank you for tuning into The Marty Grasani Show. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, leave us an honest rating and review. If you're on Spotify, make sure you follow us for weekly episodes.